Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. Each week at the end of our time of corporate singing, uh, we conclude with these time-honored words from the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the way that this song is voiced here each week varies drastically. Obviously, there's some practical issues at work in this. For example, there's a marked difference between the song of praise that is raised on a week with 100 people versus a week with 60 or 70 people. The former occasions a resounding and sometimes hauntingly beautiful four-part harmony that could easily move attenders to tears due to its beauty and apparent meaning in the lives of those who are singing. The latter, the down weeks in attendance that oddly seem to coincide with the Ravens' football schedule, (laughs) on those weeks, we try. It's a bit more meek and tentative, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. I would also assume that the routine practice of such singing also contributes to the various outward results that we experience here from week to week. It's true of any regular liturgical practice in the church because it's expected, because it's scheduled. Its observance has has to withstand the proclivity towards boredom and numbness. Many of us grew up in a church setting that fought the onset of this sort of collective apathy by withholding some of these practices, most notably the practice of sharing a communion meal together. The thought was, if we only do this every so often, it will be special. I vividly remember walking into the sanctuary on those infrequent communion Sundays and seeing the stacked golden offering plates with plastic cups holding a single shot of grape juice and the somewhat smaller but still very golden plates filled with cubes of white bread. Does anybody remember those days? On site, I would immediately uh, enter in and begin to think, well, church is gonna be really long today. (laughs) At least in my experience, it's not how often something is practiced that determines its internal significance. What I cared about most as a kid on Sunday was leaving church where our family would then go to the local Ponderosa or Bonanza. For those of you that are too young for that, those are restaurants where you eat like an all-you-can-eat buffet with chicken wings and macaroni and cheese. That's where I wanted to go. And notice that this was another of my own weekly liturgical practices that I happened to love. And this is one of the reasons why we serve communion each week at TRP. Our culture offers us liturgies of a very different sort every day. And not only do we participate, but a lot of times we look forward to them. We schedule our time and our lives around them. In some cases, we never get tired of them. We've already mentioned football, but college football on Saturdays or the NFL on Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays, I know my mom's really excited about that. It's nothing other than a cultural liturgy that shapes our schedules and it vies for our allegiance. And this isn't a bust on the NFL. I happen to love it. Although this week, you could take a week off because the best team in football isn't playing. So go Eagles. I'm really shooting myself in the foot here on the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, and this might just be me. We also have other cultural liturgical practices like Mo Mondays 
Is it just me? I love Moe's. I think it's beautiful. No, no snub to Chipotle. It's fine. But you get a burrito, Tim. You get a burrito and chips and a drink for $6.99. And that glorious queso, the glorious queso. About three weeks ago, I went to Mo Mondays, and they were giving out free T-shirts. And a T-shirt that I snagged, it's this light red, almost pink, and it says, what does it say? <laughs> Something about the, it says, queso is life and it has a little chip, and it says Moe's. And they were just giving those out for free, although I've now found that I, I have a quandary, because when I wear it in public, I don't want people to think that I bought a T-shirt from Moe's. Um, but I also, you know, I want to represent the brand of Moe's. Okay, so you guys aren't on board with that, but what about this? This is us, Tuesdays, nine o'clock. Or for the OGs in the group Grey's Anatomy on Thursdays at eight o'clock. The time varies, but I'd also like to think that some of our podcast listeners wait with bated breath for the weekly release of the TRP podcast. And now would be a great time to say hello to the podcast listeners. Hello. I don't know who they are or what. <laughs> no lie, though, I did meet one person. I've told you this, but it's one of the best moments of my life. I met somebody who lives in North Carolina, and they came up to me and said, hey, you're Josh, right? And I was like, yeah. And they, they said, we've been listening to your podcast from TRP, and we've, we've listened to every one that you guys have ever done. And there I was like, okay. <laughs> we have gone, not international, what would that be? Inter, interstate. We've gone interstate. Right down 95 is where we went to North Carolina. Okay, one author describes our scheduled trips to the grocery store as a cultural liturgy of sorts. A lot of practices in our lives are regular and they border on religious experiences, not going to the grocery store. If anything, that is a trying experience meant to uh, see how, how religious we may be. But for other things, this is us. You guys are busted because every Wednesday morning or every Tuesday night, I see your junk on Facebook where you're like talking about this is us and how you cried. Well, of course you cried. This is like a tortured emotional experience that we put ourselves through on a week to week basis. Sometimes we'll have two or three episodes that Kate and I need to catch up on. Um, and I'll say, I just can't tonight. So we've started rewatching How I Met Your Mother reruns just because it's light and funny and I don't want to put myself through it. Although I will say, and I'm getting off topic here, I will say that Randall is one of my favorite t uh, TV characters going on right now. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Um, <laughs> liturgies, they're all around us. And as a result, we believe it's important to offer a counter liturgy, to be reminded of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus and to partake in this shared meal regularly as a community in a defiant act of unity. We are hopeful that as the body of Jesus, we will... Uh, invest this time each week with meaning, even if it is something that occurs regularly. And it's the same with singing the doxology. It's regular, but it can and it should be meaningful. It should teach us who God is and who we should be in response. It should shape us. But I get it. It's difficult to be equally or increasingly invested over time, to be open to learning this instruction and to be shaped by it, especially when we factor in our individual and our communal circumstances, which sometimes directly impact the resolve in our sung confession that God is in fact worthy to be praised and that God does in fact bring blessings to bear in our lives. Over the course of TRP's almost five year history as a church, we have sung this song together in the midst of some very adverse circumstances. 
Because we're a young church, we send a good number of college students out each May, many to move back across the bridge to work in their field or to go to grad school or to get married and start a family. Students, please know that we as a church are committed to investing in you, whether you're here for a week, a semester, or if we get to have you for all four years. But each graduating class, it leaves a void. And we've been through that loss four times now, and it doesn't get any easier, and I'm not looking forward to this spring semester. Because we are ascending church, or at least because we try to be, we also choose to bless non-college students when they are called to go elsewhere, whether they are heading off to seminary, which is one of my dreams for all of you, is to someday go receive a degree in advanced theological studies, or whether you're going to attend or work in a different church, or in some cases to move closer to your family or to find a job. As a church, we are learning how to send people well. And not only are we going to be able to practice that with the college students in the months to come, but next month we'll have an opportunity to do just that as Sarah leaves us and goes back home to Texas. Sarah's been with us for a long time now, three years or so, I forget the exact date, stop crying. <laughs> in, our very, in one of our very first conversations, I said to her, you know, you'd make a good elder in a local church. I didn't know at the time, although I was hopeful, that some of your gifts would be enacted here with us. And we as a community, we've benefited from them greatly. Now she's preparing to move back to Texas, and I knew this was coming, and anybody who has spent any amount of time with Sarah kind of knew this was coming. But I, and maybe some of you too, have had to convince ourselves to send her well, even in the midst of tremendous loss that we will feel as a community. On that day, in the spring, and on that day in December, we will still sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Like any other community of faith, we have also grieved the loss of many loved ones over our five years. A significant number of you were not here in the early years of TRP, which means you were not blessed to know one of our dear friends, Ryan Twilley. We were praying for him and eventually grieving his loss as he passed away from leukemia at the age of 26. He left behind a wife, two small kids, a beautiful extended family, and a church community who loved him dearly. And it was hard. It is hard. And there have been many weeks where I could not intone the doxology. It's not because I didn't believe the words anymore. I was angry, or I was upset, or I was sad. I don't really even know how to qualify it. Others of us, I think, can identify with that as we grieve, sometimes silently, miscarriages infertility, the dissolution of relationships. This is a bit more abstract, but I think it does fit within this community. Some of us have grieved the loss of an image of God that we no longer believe is true, or a reading of the Bible that we have been led to see differently. These are also painful spiritual losses that we face. And sometimes in the midst of this period of deconstruction that we go through as followers of Jesus, it's difficult to know even where to stake our claim. But this is the journey that we're on. And Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden is light. But following him can be difficult because we don't always know the path that we're on. I'll admit, however, sometimes the doxology is a bit easier to sing. It's as if the words are more believable because we have seen something or experienced something that reminds us that God is good. 
As most of you know, on Friday night, the Petersons lost nearly all of their earthly possessions in a house fire. When I got the call from another local pastor, I immediately flashed back to my own experiences. My family also lost everything in a house fire when I was in high school. And I remember being in seventh period study hall, goofing off when the secretary came in and said, Josh, I need to take you home. Not knowing what it was, not knowing what was going on as we pulled up near the driveway. I don't remember her telling me what was going on. I just remember driving with her, seeing my house engulfed in flames. I was unable to process what it was that was happening. I remember dad telling me or the family or some of us sometime later that the fire marshal or somebody, you can tell that my memory was really firing on all cylinders here. He said that if this fire happened at night, we would all be dead, which I don't know how you work that into a conversation that you're having with someone, but nevertheless, uh, that was the bit of information that we got. And it didn't take me long on Friday night as I was sitting with the Petersons and some of their family and friends in a neighbor's home across the street to begin contemplating what had happened and what could have happened. They had apparently smelled something like smoke earlier in the night while they were watching TV, and since they were unable to identify the source or what it was, they just fell asleep on the couch. And Susie was the first one to wake up with flames behind her in the sunroom. Sitting on a couch across the street, it's easy to play out hypothetical scenarios, imagining a much worse outcome. The fact that everybody in the house made it out, even Tina the gecko, she's resilient. She didn't actually make it out of the house. She was just discovered later alive in the house, <laughs> which makes it even better. It's, this is all cause to think that God was involved, perhaps even stirring Susie to wake. I know I'm not alone in putting some of these connections together. So many of you have vocalized your prayers of thanksgiving over the last 48 hours or so. Like Kate and I, you guys are thankful for this family and for the fact that they woke up when they did and they got out of the house. In the midst of this tragedy, I will gladly sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. We know that the work of rebuilding will be hard and that the days will be long for the Petersons over the next few weeks, but they are still here. And for right now, that's enough. While we were on it though, I'd like to, to step over and put my pastor hat firmly back on my head and let you guys know how proud I am to be a pastor of this community. We talk a lot about doing the work. We talk a lot about loving people well, about meeting tangible needs, because that's what we see Jesus doing throughout the Gospels. He didn't give people spiritual platitudes. He didn't just pat them on the back. He healed them. He fed them. He forgave them. He taught them. He was present with them. And you guys, too, in your own different ways, and they are many and varied, you are meeting needs, and you are doing it in the name of Jesus. Unfortunately, uh, we live in a culture where the name of Jesus has become associated with something much less than what he actually is. It's something laughable. It's a caricature that the church has created and that is portrayed to the community around us. But there are hints when we reach beyond ourselves to help others where I think his name is redeemed. And in that, I say, well done. Remember, though, it's easy to love your friends. It's much more difficult to love our enemies, which we are also called to do. And I would encourage us not only to see the needs of people that we love in our midst, but to see the needs of people who are broken and hurting on the margins and the outskirts that we have little to no relationship with, or maybe even better, 
the people that we cannot stand to be around and meeting their needs and giving them a different image of the church and who Jesus is. Still, while we may be quick to rejoice in God's involvement in the lives of our friends, I know that there's many in this room and many of our thousands of listeners on the podcast who will hear this later. Your circumstances, they're unseen, they're unknown, and maybe you feel they are unaddressed by God. Perhaps you are wrestling with a very real, very present, very consistent, maybe even very debilitating internal battle that's due to depression, anxiety, insecurity, the experience of racial prejudice, issues concerning sexual identity, abuse and mistreatment, significant hurt at the hands of the church in your past, unanswered prayers. Singing praise God to you, it feels impossible or disingenuous or something that you can't quite identify. This is why liturgies are important. I believe that our weekly singing of the doxology as a community, it helps to reframe or reorient our mindset. If this image helps, the doxology provides us with a poignant counter testimony to our circumstances. It continually reminds us that regardless of what we face, our God is worthy of praise. I don't say that blithely as, the, as if we don't have to withstand some impossibly weighty situations or as if we don't weather storms that cause massive internal or external destruction. I also don't want to claim that God is worthy of praise with the understanding that God has placed us into these adverse situations in order to test us. Your loss is not a test. Your miscarriage is not a test. Your depression is not a test. Your house fire is not a test. One of the common misconceptions that we have of God is that he plots our pain, our discomfort, our suffering as he watches indifferently from on high. This is actually one of the predominant obstacles that you guys voice to me over coffees about things that keep you from committing to faith, God's perceived aloofness in our lives. But I want you to consider this, and hopefully this isn't new, but hopefully you can hear it again, perhaps even for the first time. Jesus is described in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, as the exact representation of God. Jesus, therefore, exemplifies the very character of God in his actions and in his words. Whatever we learn about Jesus, we can infer that this is something that God the Father would say or do. And Jesus, let us not forget, included those on the margins and the outskirts. He advocated for the poor and the oppressed. He encouraged the past over to follow him and to do what he does. Jesus, let us not forget, was abandoned and rejected by his friends. He was denied by them. Jesus, let us not forget, was beaten and mocked and crucified for us. One of the uh, 20th century's greatest theologians, I know I've gotten in the habit of saying that, but I believe this to be true as well. His name is Jürgen Moltmann. He says, the symbol of the cross in the church points to the God who was crucified, not between two candles on an altar, but between two thieves in the place of the skull where the outcasts belong, outside the gates of the city. Jesus understands. He has lived in the midst of brokenness. And as a result, he provides an image of a God who weeps with us when we weep 
who grieves with us as we grieve, who is pained at the sinfulness and brokenness of this world and will do whatever he can to right it, even if that means dying. In those moments when we cannot believe this good news, the beautiful thing about a sung weekly liturgy that announces God's goodness is that the voice of those around us provide a testimony of our shared belief as a community. It's as if the community stands together each week and boldly declares, whether we know it or not, we believe. About a year ago, Derek Webb reflected on his uh, divorce and his infidelity, and he used the language of liturgy to describe his feelings. I haven't been able to shake this since the day I read it, and I'll read it to you now. He said, I've said recently that my songs feel like my personal liturgy, things I don't necessarily or always believe, but I show up to recite again and again in hopes of believing them. If I'm honest, most of the time, I don't believe the words in my songs. I have a hard time believing in a God that could make, let alone love a man who could do such things. So I'll go on reciting and adding to my liturgy in hopes of believing the words, because I wish to. More than ever, I wish to. Perhaps we waver in our belief of the message of the doxology from time to time. Perhaps we can sing thanks for the divine deliverance of the Petersons while also being wary or tired of God's seeming lack of response to our situation. My hope is that we learn this liturgy, this liturgy of praise, that we allow it to shape us that we continue wishing to believe it when we can't find the strength, and that our community surrounds us in the midst of our rejoicing and in the midst of our pain, just like Jesus does. I believe that this is reason to proclaim and actually mean it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.